Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Good Question. Today is episode 29 and I am so glad you're here. I wanna say a huge thanks to everyone who listened last week to Dave and I as we looked back on our first six months of podcasting. I am a big believer in the power of reflection to help us clarify the future. And just spending a little time thinking about the short life of our show so far has given us some clarity for moving forward. We have some exciting episodes coming up and also maybe some special surprises. So I hope you'll stay tuned for those. If you aren't already, now is a good time to make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. As always, we appreciate our amazing listener supporters. If you'd like to become a listener supporter, you can follow the link in the show notes to Anchor, or you can click over to buymeacoffee.com to make a one-time gift. And truly, you guys, you sharing the show is one of the best gifts we can receive. Today, I am chatting with a new friend. Dr. Paige Quintero is a fourth-generation apostolic, a musician and a worshiper, a wife and a mom. She's also a bariatric surgeon practicing at Baptist Health in Lexington, Kentucky. Dr. Paige and I are chatting about faith and medicine, about releasing ourselves from shame around our size and our weight, and we even wade into some COVID-19 talk. This episode was a huge encouragement to me, and I hope it is for you as well. So let's get to it. Dr. Paige Quintero, welcome to Good Question. Thank you. It's great to be here. Before we start, I would love to just have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are. Hi, my name is uh, Dr. Paige Quintero. I work as a, we like to call it metabolic and bariatric surgeon in Lexington, Kentucky. That means that I do weight loss surgeries and help people uh, lose a lot of weight. Uh, I have uh, been a surgeon for uh, 13 years and I love what I do. And I have two children, Rhett and Scarlett. They are five and six years old. And I have a wonderful husband, Bryant. So 13 years as a surgeon, that is a, I guess, as far as I know, a kind of a rigorous career path to get to the point of being a surgeon. Is that right? It's not for sissies. (laughs) (laughs) So what made you pursue a career in medicine? What got you interested in that? Well, honestly, my mom told me that I was going to be a doctor since I was like eight. Mm. That was her aspiration for me. But I definitely grew up in the household where I was encouraged to be the best that I could be. Mm. You know, if I, if I showed aptitude in school, that was absolutely encouraged. My dad was funny. So he uh, grew up in a big family and he knew that education was going to be the key to 
you know, wealth and prosperity. So I would come home with a good grade on a test, like a 97. And he'd say, that's great. Where's the other three points? (laughs) (laughs) No pressure or anything. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure, no pressure. But I never felt it as pressure. I always felt it as he knew that I had potential and he knew what it was. And he wanted to make sure that I did everything I could do to reach it. So I was good academically. And as I got into high school, I realized I did love science. Now I loved English as well. I loved history, but I had an interest in science and I got to go shadow some hand surgeons when I was in. Yeah. When I was in high school, now this is funny. So I told the director, I forget what her title is, the director of uh, like career development that I wanted to shadow a surgeon. And she said, okay, you can shadow a surgical nurse. And I said, okay. (laughs) So, okay. It's not what I said, but okay. And you know, they were great, but you know, while I was there, the surgeon talked to me and it was great. And I still remember him. His name was Dr. Wolf. He was a hand surgeon and got Coots and Kleiner Institute in Louisville. And it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen. I honestly, I think some blood kind of like hit my forehead and I was just like, this is amazing. So I, I knew that this is something I could do. And then I just had to you know, make it happen. (laughs) And by the grace of God, you know, every turn of the way, he provided a way for me to, you know, do well in college, get into medical school, get into surgery residency, do well. Uh, I I give him all glory because there's so many times that I could have failed, but he, uh, he kept me and uh, I just appreciate, appreciate all he's done for me. I think it's funny. I think there are kind of like two kinds of people. They're like the people who have the opportunity to be in the room when there's any kind of medical procedure going on, who are just like on the edge of their seat, like can't wait to see it. And then there are the rest of us who are like hiding in the corner with our hands over our eyes. (laughs) So I'm as the person in the corner with my hand over my eyes, I'm very thankful that there are people who find it fascinating and interesting and go and learn how to do it. (laughs) Because if it was up to me, no one would ever get no one would ever have any kind of surgery done on them. (laughs) You know, in the beginning, it's, it's terrible. I guess it's a little lurid to to get to see, oh my goodness, I'm seeing a human body from the inside out. But later as you go on, and really, honestly, when I got out of training, it just became so much different. Like I just had this responsibility, like this person needs me mm. and I can help them, yeah. but I also could, could do harm. Mm. And so I just, I have to be careful and they're depending on me. Like they look at my eyes and they trust me. And that was uh, that's a different feeling. You know, in high school, I was all about the anatomy and the, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. But now it's different altogether. You know, there's being a good technician and being a good surgical technician and performing a procedure. And then there's being a good doctor and they're Mm. not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think any of us that have been to the doctor more than a few times or more than, or to more than a few doctors can tell you that that's definitely the case. We've, I think everyone's probably had some good experiences and some bad experiences. And I think it's good whenever we, whenever, you know, I'm also in a, in a field where you kind of like hold people's lives in your hand, not in the same way as a surgeon, but I hold their words and I hold their interactions with other people, which can influence how people think about them and what people believe about them. And and so it is like, it's a weighty responsibility to think like I am impacting this person's life in like a very meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So you are also apostolic. Yes. So how has your faith kind of impacted your career or how has your career impacted your faith? Like how do those things go together in your life? 
So, well, that's just such a big question. (laughs) I'll try to pick out just a few things, but I know I have quite a reputation in our, in our town, in our practice for praying with patients before surgery. Mm. And, you know, not everyone wants to take advantage of it and that's okay, but it comforts the patients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether I pray with them or not, I pray, you know, (laughs) it it comforts the patients that we do that together and I can see them relax and they feel like it's good. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, maybe person after surgery is having a complication. I've laid hands on them and prayed for them in the bed. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you know, and also done the doctor thing, but I've done it before. And I'm telling you, I felt the spirit of God move and, and he helped me, you know, with whatever Mm. was going on. So I, I, yeah, I lean on God that way, but the patients really appreciate that. And I find that I do draw more patients who do have Christian background and they come to me because they know I will ask to pray with them. Mm. Um, And it's, I mean, it's on Facebook. It's, it's no secret. Uh, When I was a young person, maybe when I was in school, if any apostolic young girl has felt this way, it was definitely me. I wore skirts and I went to Catholic school where we all wore skirts, but mom were longer, you know, (laughs) and I, and I kind of stood out, you have real long hair and uh, in high school, you know, you stand out as well. And I feel like I was usually a leader and it didn't bother me. Like no one ridiculed me, but I was different. Mm-hmm. And I spent too many years maybe feeling kind of shy or uh, maybe like I didn't fit in because I was different and my faith was different. But I love being in my late thirties and I love being a surgeon because now everything in my life that made me feel awkward is my power, you know, that's, mm. that's my, my notoriety. That's my recognition. That's my power. And people come to me because I am different. And that's the best feeling in the world. That's such an amazing encouragement. If there are any young people or even, even it doesn't even have to be young people. We all struggle sometimes with that feeling of wanting to fit in and, and not always wanting to kind of stick out like a sore thumb the way sometimes we do or how we feel that we do. I think that's really, really I think it's just it's just a wise thing to keep in mind that the thing that you feel like is making you stand out is probably making you stand out, but not for the negative reasons that you think, but because you're actually that that's your light. That's the way that you're making an impact in the world. And so, I mean, I can just I can only imagine how comforting that must be to have a surgeon who will pray with you before you go into surgery and who will you know, lay hands on you if you need it afterwards. I, you know, I've been through some procedures myself where I can tell you, I wish, I wish maybe I'd had you there with me. (laughs) Because it would have made me feel a whole lot better. But I think that's really cool. Have there been any challenging aspects? I mean, did you get any, I don't know how to, how to say this, but I think a lot of times we think that there are going to be things that come up that you're going to have to compromise your faith in order to practice medicine well in the eyes of the world has has there been anything like that where you've had to like make any tough decisions or anything so I think there were two aspects especially of medical training that were hard for me and one was I thought well I want to be a surgeon but are they going to make me wear pants I don't want to wear pants (laughs) and now I look back and it seems really silly because yeah maybe the world is more accepting of different people than it used to I mean I know I have colleagues who are Muslim Mm. and they may cover their face or their head and it's not a big deal for them. Mm. You know, so when I was coming through, it was a little bit more of a big deal and I had to step out and 
talk to people and I had to explain, okay, this is, these are, these uh, standards of modesty are important to me. I'm going to follow them. Please accommodate me. And that, but I had to try to be humble, you know, because when I first started asking for this, I was a student. Mm. So the, they had never seen a medical student in a skirt. Mm. ever, ever, ever. And it was hard to find them. So my mom had to make them for me. So I got through that. But I mean, talk about feeling different. You Mm. know, it's one Mm -hmm. thing to be the girl in Catholic school with a little bit longer skirt. Another thing to be the, like, first of all, a a student in the operating room, you know, surgeons in academia are not well known for like being nice to students. (laughs) underlings. So it was extremely awkward, but I, uh, I somehow got through it. And then in residency, you know, I show up at every level that I went up, it was less of a problem, you know? Right. So when you were a student, you had to kind of convince them and they wanted to know why. And they're like, well, the, and they would say some really silly things to you. Like, well, you better wear pantyhose under that skirt. And no, I'm, I'm, I'm not wearing pantyhose under that skirt. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't do it. Um, and then now that I'm an attending surgeon, it's like Dr. Quintero, that skirt looks fantastic on you. You know, like it, it really changes <laughs> once you get to the end. Um, and the other thing that I struggled with a lot was in residency, it was not possible to be faithful to every church service. And that's how I was raised. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm a musician. I've directed choir. I've been a Sunday school teacher since I was in high school. And it was so hard for me not to be in my place, you know, mm-hmm. two services on Sunday, every Wednesday, prayer meeting. And I just couldn't be. And it, I remember there would be whole months at a time when I was just working nights or I was working on trauma and just could not leave. And so I had a really good supportive church in Chicago that the pastor said, he said, I want you to be involved in music ministry, but I understand you're not going to be here as much as everyone else is. He said, I know you're not being unfaithful. Uh, I just understand it's something you've got to do. So it was just a season of life. And I did get to make it to a special service one time when I was in residency and I remember a precious lady, sister Rodriguez, sister Lena Rodriguez, if you're out there listening, she uh, laid her hands on me and she prayed for me. And she said, and I had never told her I was feeling this. So she had some discernment. She said, I know that you feel bad because you're not here all the time, but what you must realize is that medicine is also your ministry. Mm. And so you're doing something important, even though you can't be in the house of God, every service. And that just, that stuck with me. That was probably Oh man, 15 years ago that she said that to me, but it's been amazing. I love that. I mean, so my husband was in the military and in a similar way, like, you know, you're owned by (laughs) your chain of command. And so you are, you are there when they tell you to be there. And if that interferes with anything in your life, well, everything in your life comes second. And, and even, you know, I've in other college um, and other higher education fields, there are different paths that we can take that can make the regular way that we live our lives as apostolics very difficult. And I love that you had a pastor that was supportive of that. I love that there was someone who was discerning enough to know that you were struggling and was able to speak life and encouragement into that. Mm -hmm. I've heard of, and I know of, unfortunately, places where that's not respected and it's not understood. And so I hope that someone out there who is listening to this, who maybe you are in college, maybe you are in a rough season of life where you don't have the control over your schedule that you'd like to have and you can't be as faithful as you'd like to be. I hope that you hear that and take that as encouragement yourselves because God places us where he places us for a reason. And sometimes our mission field is not inside the church building. 
And so I think that's, I think that's such a powerful thing that if we can grasp it, we can, we can let go of a lot of shame that comes around Mm -hmm. things that are out of our control, you know? And I think it's great because if we, (laughs) if we only pursued fields and careers where we could all be faithful all the time, we wouldn't have Christians in a medical field. We wouldn't have Christians in the military. We wouldn't have Christians, you know, in all of these places that need a godly voice. They need someone speaking the truth and shining the light. And if we aren't there, who's going to do it? Yes, it's true. And I love, I love my hospital. I love <laughs> it. it. It's, it's Baptist hospital. And I, I, uh, I can't remember what I hadn't been here very long, but I was working on a Sunday. Now it, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful schedule. You know, I, I do elective surgery, so not too many emergencies. And on weekends, you know, I don't have too much responsibility except going in to see all the patients and make rounds. And then I can go to church and, you know, do whatever I can get it all done. It's great. So I was there one Sunday making rounds and I saw a custodian and he was singing a gospel song and it was so beautiful. And I thought, I feel God right now. This is amazing. I wonder where he goes to church. <laughs> he goes to my church. <laughs> I just, I was kind of new. I didn't know him yet. But Brother Johnson goes to my church and that man, he prays for me in the hallway. And I can remember we had a death on our service and it was traumatic for everyone. And it actually wasn't my patient, but it was a patient that I knew. And it was just, you know, so traumatic. Everyone was just devastated. So he comes over to me a couple of days later and he says, sister, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm okay. He said, my wife and I've been praying for you every day. Mm. He said, was that your patient? I said, well, no, it actually wasn't. <laughs> and he said, we were worried it was your patient and we were praying for you because we knew that you needed that support. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I look around and my friend, um, my friend Jenny, we teach Sunday school together. She's a respiratory therapist. She wears a skirt. And, um, you know, there's my friend, Rebecca. She's married to our assistant pastor. She's a radiology technician. She wears a skirt. So, you know, we're kind of, kind of infiltrating the hospital little by little. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. I love that. And I think it's, I've, I see such a, not a disparity, but a wide range of people in our, in our faith, in our movement. And, and maybe we can kind of talk about this a little bit. I know a lot of apostolics in the medical field in some way or another, right? So like you said, radiology techs and nurses and a few doctors, not a whole lot, but, but some. And then there, but there also seems to be, there seem to be some people who are hesitant around pursuing medical care. And you know, there's there's a lot of controversy in the world right now, and I don't want to get into anything that's going to make people feel like we're attacking their position or whatever. But I just see so much confusion sometimes around when do we rely on God? When do we seek medical care? And when do we take the advice of the scientific community? When do we draw a line and say, no, that's not us? Can you speak to that a little bit and kind of maybe give us some parameters for how you yourself approach those kinds of decisions. Okay. So I want to say I'm a doctor, but I'm also a patient. Mm. I had bariatric surgery. I had a sleeve gastrectomy four years ago. So I understand uh, what it means to be obese. I understand what it means to lose weight, you know, to work through all this stuff. So I feel like I understand back pain. You know? mm-hmm. I understand high cholesterol. You know, I've had it. So I've definitely had to go through it and, you know, make those decisions for myself. I, in my opinion, our apostolic movement comes from very humble origins. 
we come from tent revivals and brush arbors. And we come from a time when people didn't have higher education. We weren't upper, upper class, upper middle class. We were the out, on the outskirts of society, right? Mm-hmm. This is where we started. And so to, in some ways, I feel like our movement always has remembrance of that, that grassroots identity and that we're separate and we're, we're different from everyone else. We really are set apart. And so we, I think as Christians have also been taught to think that there may be a day when someone's going to challenge your faith and you have to contend for the faith and you have to stand up and proclaim Jesus, even if it's at risk of your life, Mm. you know? So we do have this, I just think a cultural identity of maybe being outsiders, you know, kind of in the world, not of it. Now, where does that come in with healthcare? I think if you're sick, you should consult a doctor, (laughs) (laughs) but I am a doctor. So to me, this is just something I do. I mean, if your car gets a flat tire, you'd get your tire changed, right? Mm. If you have diabetes, I should prescribe you some metformin or some insulin and help you out with that because we can prevent a lot of bad stuff just by a little bit of maintenance. I wonder if if sometimes people feel like they don't trust God if they seek medical care. And in my opinion, that's not the thing. Did God not make my hands? Did God not make my brain? Did he did he not bless me and favor me all the way through my training and put me in the place I need to be? And I could tell stories of I just feel like where I am in life is just by divine intervention and miraculous favor. So I know, I know there's no doubt in my mind what he's done for me. So I choose to think of it like that. God has blessed people with medical knowledge. He's blessed humankind with medical knowledge. We can take advantage of that. Now, there's definitely some things I think that are medically possible that I want to take advantage of. You know, I don't, I don't want to have an abortion. Mm. That's medically possible. That's not for me. That definitely offends what I think God wants me to do. You know, elective abortion. I think, you know, there's, there's other things that are some gray areas, maybe in reproductive health. There's definitely some stuff out there, but my opinion is we, I think doctors just want to help. And -hmm. there's a lot of room for patients' own spirituality and beliefs to be respected when they seek medical care, you know? Mm. So I think it's good. Now, if you, if you want to know, I'm going to just volunteer it. What I think about the (laughs) pandemic go for it, and about about vaccines there, some have expressed the opinion that it's a hoax, that it's not real. You should come to my hospital. You should hear code blue, COVID Mm -hmm. unit, code blue, COVID unit, code blue, COVID unit. You should hear the suffering and devastation. This is not influenza. Influenza didn't prevent me from doing any elective operations last year because we didn't have enough beds in the hospital for you know, surgery patients and for all the COVID patients. That it that's not influenza. I've never yeah. seen influenza season like that. This is much more serious. And yeah, I know not everyone has a medical background, but I, I'm often surprised in our country how much we don't trust people who do have education. And maybe we don't trust them because their their religious views are so different from ours. You know, political views are so different. But I'm I am an apostolic. <laughs> I was raised this way. I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven and and I'm fourth generation, you know, I, I'm in it. I'm in it for life. <laughs> My children are in it for life, I hope. And yeah, I'm, it's real. I'm in it. It's affected me. You know, I think about how it affects all the patients who, you know, need uh, other things besides COVID-related resources. Like I, for last year, um, 
I did a year of taking some general surgery call. I'm a specialist, but there was a need. So I, I took 60 general surgery calls last year and mm-hmm. asked my family how they liked that. They did not at all. But it was <laughs> unbelievable but because these poor patients would wait until the last minute to come in. Like say they had appendicitis and they were terrified to come to the hospital and get exposed to COVID and be ill. So they'd wait. And I'm telling you, every appendix was ruptured last year and every gallbladder was gangrenous and all the bowel was dead. You know, everyone came in so late or there was a delay to care because they couldn't get in or the wait was really long in the ER. It was, it was really sad to see that that was medical care. You know, even now there are supply shortages. I sometimes can't get certain tests that I want in a timely manner. And it, makes it hard, you know, longer for patients to get to surgery. It's just, it's really tough. So this is bad. And I just wish there was something we could do to make it all go away, but wait, there is. <laughs> so, you know, I think the vaccine is, is super exciting. I encourage everyone to think about this if they have any misgivings about it, especially about the safety of the vaccine. A couple of points, but my hospital is filled with COVID patients, young people, old people, people that shouldn't be there. Like my husband got hospitalized with COVID. He's 33 and he's a gym rat. You know, he, he, he shouldn't have gotten that sick, but he did. So my hospital is not filled with vaccine complications. Mm. It's filled with sick people with COVID. So that's number one. And then I, I've definitely heard some talk about uh, worried that because the vaccine is not FDA approved, you know, why, why should I take it when it's been rushed through? So there are hundreds of thousands of people who have been in vaccine trials worldwide. Um, you know, Israel is very, famous for its um, vaccine publications and the good response and experience they've had. But uh, if, you, if you look back in history, Viagra, the, the famous <laughs> blue pill, was approved after 3,000 people went through a clinical trial. Only 3,000. And they got Viagra approved. You know, we've got hundreds of thousands of people who have taken the vaccine. We have documented, you know, rate of side effects is very low. And we have millions of people who died of COVID. So these are, these are big numbers. So I, when people ask me, is it safe? You know, I talked to them about Viagra and how Viagra is safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we studied it quite a bit less than we studied these vaccines. So I, I am pro-vaccine. I have it. My husband has it. And, and I've been really thankful to um, pastoral leadership in my life. You know, my pastor has had the vaccine and, and I appreciate his example. And brother David K. Bernard put on Facebook, he got yes. the vaccine. And I think yes. he, he was criticized for that, but I appreciate that because I think some people needed to know that this wasn't the mark of the beast or this wasn't uh, you know dang, bad for them. It's sinful, sinful for them. And I appreciated his leading by example. Well, I, I appreciate you saying all of that because, you know, I'm not a medical professional. And so I don't feel like my word carries that much weight on these kinds of topics with anybody outside of my close circle of family and friends. But yeah, like my husband and I, I the day that I became eligible in our state, um, my boss came to my cube and said, we're eligible now, get a, get an appointment. I left work early and got that first appointment. And, and I left and I posted something on Instagram, just thanking God for it because yeah. I've lost family members to COVID. I've seen so many people sick. And the fear that we've all lived in for the past year and a half, it's real. And I I know that there are people who who want to say, well, if you have faith, then you shouldn't then you shouldn't fear it. But I think that there's also a level of common sense that you can say, no, this is dangerous. And if there's something I can do to protect myself, I don't know. I've just and you can tell me how you feel about this, but I've just come to really believe strongly that. All that science is, 
is uncovering the truths that God has already built into creation. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. That there's nothing like scary or uh, sacrilegious about science. Like, of course, people get it wrong sometimes, but all that they can actually do is uncover the truth that God has already built in. Yes, absolutely. You know, I love, I love the Bible. There, are, There's definitely things in the Old Testament that are, I think we would deem ceremonial law. And because we are not Jewish, we don't follow, you know, we obviously follow the moral law. But as growing up, I'm like, why, why'd you put the lepers outside of the camp? Why did they do that? Why could you not touch things <laughs> mm-hmm. that the lepers had touched? And and why could they not eat pork? What's the problem with bacon? I don't understand. Well, now I do. You know, what if you didn't have a meat thermometer back in the Bible times and you didn't cook your pork chop well enough? You're going to get worms. <laughs> You're going to get parasites. You know, God's special people, they had to be on the earth. They had a purpose to do. Uh, leprosy, my goodness. They had to stay outside the camp. They were just being quarantined. I think that's completely appropriate because God did not want some stupid disease to take out his important people. And also Noah built an ark, you know, God needed to save Noah alive. So I'm kind of of the opinion that the vaccine is, is good for me and I should save myself. I mean, I, I know that I would gladly lay down my life for the cause of Christ. I never questioned that, but I have important work to do here. You know, I need to share the gospel with people. I need to teach young people in Sunday school. I need to teach them the word. I need to raise my children. I have things to do and I can't let carelessness on my part derail that. You know, I, if I can save myself alive, it's not just for me because I don't want to die. It's because I've got stuff to do and I have a purpose here. So there's a big history of God preserving his people and making ways for them to escape and to survive. And to me, that's what the vaccine is. I really love that perspective. I mean, and I, and again, I hope that, I hope that we make a difference in somebody who's been on the fence about it. And, you know, if you're listening and you feel strongly against it, or you have medical reasons why you shouldn't take it, you know, your own health the best, and you should follow the prompting and voice of the Lord in your life. But I'm thankful that we could talk about it and and gives people some advice and some some another perspective if the only thing that they're hearing is fear and concern around it. I mean, I think that's I think that's really, really great. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the kind of the Old Testament law, and that kind of leads me into another question that actually I was talking about with my family and I, and another part of health and wellness and and caring for our bodies and and things like that, that I think sometimes people of faith, not necessarily apostolics, I don't think, but that other people of other faiths might have an issue with. Um, and that's things like blood donation and blood transfusions and organ donation. Do you have any thoughts on those things as a medical professional and as an apostolic? Are there any things about that we should be concerned about? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity years ago to observe not one, but two individuals who had a, a religious belief against receiving blood products. They were Jehovah's Witness denomination. I've watched two of these individuals in my career die in front of me. You know, this is this is before mm-hmm. I became a bariatric surgeon. These are back in the days of general surgery residency. But um, I, and it was it was devastating. And so I think, you know, what what my job was to do was just to explain the risks, benefits and alternatives to their situation and what they wanted to do. And and I did have to explain, you know, I I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but you're in a bad enough situation. If you don't receive blood, you'll expire. 
And they said, okay, I accept that. Now that's not a part of my, my personal religious, uh, tradition. And it's not a part of, I think most apostolic churches or like the UPCI, you know, I I don't think there's any kind of rules Mm -hmm. against that. And I don't think it's a problem. I know that the Bible says the life is in the blood and boy, isn't that true? (laughs) Because if we don't (laughs) give you blood, sometimes you, you don't, you run out of blood. So uh, I don't have any problem with it. Now, organ donation, I went to this lecture in college and it was, it was examining the, this is funny. So I, yeah, you said Jewish law. This was a lot of a rabbi, like a rabbi, a professor who gave this lecture in college. You you could go on a Tuesday night and listen to something interesting. And they were talking about the the Jewish legality of accepting organ donations. And when, in the last days, like, do your organs, where do they go? They go with you? Like, do they go with the guy who donated them? (laughs) What if he was a bad guy? You get the bad guy's liver. You don't don't get to go to heaven. (laughs) So it was kind of an interesting debate. But I, I also think these things save lives. And I don't see anything against it, you know. Now I felt like if if the organ was procured in a malicious way, you know, like you shot someone in the head so you could, you know, put them in a bathtub full of ice and get their kidneys, you know, you know, something like that. Obviously it's bad. But no, I don't see any problem with it. It's not my field. Uh, I definitely did kidney and liver transplants in residency. It's a oh in lung and lung transplants and heart transplants. Uh it's a fascinating thing to do. And the science is complex and brilliant, but no, I don't see any problem with it. Again, I'm, I'm for most things that keep good people on the planet who can continue to do good work for the kingdom. I love that. I think that's, I, I think I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I have been a blood donor. I have the organ donation box checked on my driver's license. I just feel like Anything, like you said, that keeps me here longer to do the work God has for me to do and anything that makes it possible for anything that I can do, even if it's through the donation of my blood or my organs after I'm gone, that prolongs someone else's life long enough that they could hear the gospel. Yeah. I've always just, I've always viewed it that way as, sure, take my heart, take my kidneys, give it to somebody who needs them. Absolutely. I love that so much. So you mentioned that you are a bariatric surgeon and that you have had bariatric surgery. Yes. And so I would just love to hear you talk about that a little bit. What has that experience been like? And yeah, just just tell us about that. So I was always heavy, but I think being kind of busy and not eating right in college, I gained some weight. But being busy and not eating right in medical school, I gained a little more weight and it just kept on going. And the residency was just, you know, hard. <laughs> so you're emotionally stressful, running all the time, no time to really do what you need to do. So I gained more weight. and. I must have some kind of amazing confidence to be an obese bariatric surgeon. You know, I had a BMI of 43 and I'm like doing <laughs> gastric bypasses and talking to people. I, my confidence was amazing, I think. But once I, you know, I finished having my children and I joined a practice where I had a partner and I thought he was a brilliant surgeon. I finally just said one day, I said, okay, when are you doing this on me? And he did. And my husband had surgery as well. And it's been amazing. You know, I got to a time in my life when some of the the storm around me was calm and I wasn't just go, 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 go all the time. And I could focus on my health a little bit. And that's, that's been amazing. So going through the process, you know, if I tell you that after pain, you're going to have gas pain in your left shoulder. Now I know what that feels like. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, that's real. <laughs> you know, yes, if it I is. tell you, now listen, y'all are going to have to hustle and drink all your protein shakes. I know it doesn't taste good. They didn't taste good to me too, <laughs> either. Uh, then, then patients, you know, they resonate with that. I, I guinea pig everything on myself. I've tried every shake, every supplement, every vitamin. And if 
you know, they're good. I'll share it with patients. And we've definitely found a lot of new, uh, really nice things like vitamin patches, you know, because I, uh, tried them on myself and I, I was satisfied with them. So I, I do like being a patient who's also a doctor. And I think that's just been wonderful to, I think, attract patients to my practice, lead patients to me because they know if I take care of them, I guess, how do they say it in the Bible? I'm going to get it wrong. They said that Jesus was tempted in like manner as, as we are. <laughs> well, yes. I'm a surgeon <laughs> who's been through everything that you've been through. And it, it really forges a relationship and a bond. So I'm glad that I could do that. I don't know any other surgeons in my state who've had a sleeve gastrectomy. So I definitely talk about that. You know, I try to get the word out. But I, I do meet other uh, bariatric surgeons across the country who've had bariatric surgery, and we're on Facebook together. So there's a few of us out there, but it's it's been a tremendous experience, um, and it's uh, it's been a good experience to understand you know the lifelong fight with weight because I don't think of weight loss or having weight loss surgery. Well, certainly it's not an easy way out. My goodness, people aren't struggling with weight because they're stupid and lazy. People are struggling with weight because of biology and they don't have time and they're stressed and they have to focus on the whole world besides themselves that you put yourself last and your biology is telling you to eat. That is not your fault. So, um, I understand that. So having health, it's going to be a lifelong endeavor and, you know, weight is just the number, but sometimes for some people, it's an important number, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. one person who weighs 250 pounds has no diabetes and high blood pressure. And another person who does has all the problems, you know, and they are, they're going to die sooner because of their multiple problems and their quality of life isn't good. So we, uh, we have to fight this our whole lives. I thought the pandemic was very difficult. I, my work changed quite a bit because I couldn't really do a lot of elective bariatric surgery, which is my favorite. You know, we love elective surgery, right? It's a predictable schedule. You know, your home by dinner, we love it. Everything goes great. But instead <laughs> I was a year of emergency general surgery um, and just trying to fill in where I could because of pandemic craziness. And I gained 15 pounds and I was mortified. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm supposed to know what to do, but I really had to have grace for myself, which was this year stole my time. It stole my energy. It stole my, sometimes it stole my peace um, and I could not focus on my health. So, you know, now things died down a little bit and I was able to refocus and get that weight off. But I understand, I really do understand. So yeah, I think it makes me better doctor. I think that's amazing. And I, I mean, you're encouraging me because also in the pandemic, I also something, I don't know if it was pandemic or post second baby or just something about like my metabolism decided that it was going to just inch toward 40 before my age actually does. And what I don't know what happened, but I'm with you. I looked up and I was like, oh my, what's happened on this scale? Why don't these clothes fit anymore? Yeah. And I think it's, it is such an encouragement to hear you say like, it's not because you're stupid or lazy. Because I think that's the, that is the um, message that gets into our brains sometimes. And so we spend a whole lot of time beating ourselves up instead of focusing on what we should do to try to take care of ourselves better. Or we get into the mindset of like, oh, well, if I, if I care about this, it means that I'm vain and I shouldn't be vain. So I should just accept this and move on. Yeah. You know, it, it is amazing how freed I felt when I did lose weight before I remember feeling ashamed if I ate certain things in front of people. Mm-hmm. I would talk about foods as if they were good foods or bad. Oh, this is so bad. And now it's different. I think of food as fuel for my body. And it's about balance. 
And yes, sometimes I may choose a food that's more calorically dense and has higher carbs and may not aid me along in my health goals, but I don't do it every day. You know, I don't do it every meal. So I just have to balance that. And sometimes, yeah, I do give in and buffer my emotions a little bit with a little ice cream, but it's not every day, you know, it's not balance. Um, and, and, and what else changed too is just things like weight, measurements, dress size, those things, they do not hold oppressive power over me anymore. I felt like if I had to divulge my weight, that, well, first of all, I would just probably just be dishonest. Sorry, Lord. But if I had to just divulge my weight, I would just die of shame and sink into the grave. My husband didn't even know what I weighed until we were probably married five or six years and I knew he was going to stick around. But And and also because I knew he weighed more than I did, so it was going to be okay. <laughs> I, I didn't tell him much I weighed until I knew because I'd, I'd seek and watched him weigh on the scale. But those things don't have power over me anymore. I don't feel like I have to be ashamed if a skirt doesn't fit right. You know what? I know what my measurements are. That skirt runs small. Nothing wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> that just skirt, not the mm. right skirt for me. But back in the day, I think it would have just, you know, hurt my confidence and upset me. Oh, nothing fits. You know, now I, that changed for me when I lost weight. I love it. That's really, really cool. So if someone is, as as a doctor, what do you advise people? When when do you advise that they pursue something like surgery? And when do you advise that they try to manage it like through diet and exercise and that sort of thing? So I mean, one rule of thumb is if you have 100 pounds or more to lose, it may be difficult to do without surgery. If weight loss is a war, then you need weapons, right? So surgery is like putting a bazooka in your hand, okay? And for some mm. people, it is absolutely what they need. You know, Without getting too technical, I love the sleeve gastrectomy. It's a ridiculously simple operation, but it's, you know, the lowest risk of any operation we can do. And we just remove 85% of the stomach, part of the top part of the stomach. That's the fundus. It makes at least one hormone that makes you hungry. So we surgically removed it. Also, you can't eat very much because mm. we've reduced the size by 90%. So those are some very powerful tools. And it really... It, it, patients don't come with labels, okay? But we have some patients that, I mean, do even better than we expect with the surgery. And we have some that miss their potential because it's multifactorial, right? We've got to address hunger. We've got to address emotional eating. We've got to address uh, snacking behavior. We've got to address choosing the right foods. It, it's a lot of things, but I never think it's a bad idea. Now, there are some people who have a contraindication to surgery, you know, cirro advanced cirrhosis of the liver. Surgery is not possible. It's too dangerous. Um, but, you know, I just read there's a there's a trial that's accepting participants right now, and it's about doing bariatric surgery in people who are on transplant lists. And people mm. like if your BMI is, you know, a certain level, we won't give you an organ, but if you'll lose weight, we will. So there's a trial on is mm. it safe for those people. So I think that it's not life-threatening as it used to be in the past. You know, we it's as safe as taking the gallbladder out to do a sleeve gastrectomy. And it, you stay overnight in the hospital and then you just move on with your life. So to me, I, I see mostly positives with it. But every person has to make that decision for themselves. And if anyone's not ready to have surgery, they absolutely shouldn't do it. You've got to be at peace with it so that you'll reach your potential and do your best. That's so fascinating. I think that a lot of what I have known about it has been the from the, I guess maybe from the earlier days of it when it was more dangerous. And so it's good to know. And it's only natural, I guess, that as you guys, you guys as surgeons in, in the community in general have done more and more and more and you perfect your techniques and you figure out what works and it becomes routine. Just like you said, like a gallbladder. Yeah. 
we called it the dark days of bariatric surgery. That's my term for it. The old dark days, you know, the 1980s. <laughs> oh, the vertical banded gastroplasty. All, you know, there's still some of those running around and the, the lap bands and all that stuff. But we, it, the field is really advanced. And, you know, when, when you're in it, you just realize how much study and research and perfection and you know, what can we do better goes into it. And I, I, you know, I'm out of training. I'm out of training for several years, but I still think, okay, how can I be better? You know, I recently went back and completed my robotic surgery training and I, I realized that I could save money and time during the procedure and the patients, you know, actually have even better outcomes, you know, so we always are advancing as a field. It, it's a good time to have bariatric surgery. Well, that's, that's really encouraging. And I hope that again, we're saying lots of things today that I'm hoping are speaking to people where they're at because, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what does this have to do with our faith? And what does this have to do with being an apostolic? Well, we're stewards of the bodies that God has given us and we can't fulfill our potential if we're not taking care of of the instrument that he gave us to use to do that. So Right. And when our, our lives don't allow us to take care of it because we are such good givers, nurturers. <laughs> yeah. But I love, you know, the thing that, I think crippled my confidence the most in my entire life was my weight. It was always with me. It was always a constant unwelcome companion, a reminder that maybe I, I did not feel as attractive as other people, or, you know, I, I'm never going to get married. I'm too overweight. You know, I, I really struggled. And it's so funny that that thing now is part of what has made me a successful surgeon, you know? Mm-hmm. It draws patients to me. It draws people to me. I can talk to them. They feel comfortable with me. It it makes me, it gives me notoriety. Um, it, it's it's my power. And I, I never would have thought that my biggest weakness would have been my power. But doesn't God work like that? <laughs> yes, he does. I love that so much. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to say before I ask you our last question? I hope all the young people listening you know, think about what they want to do with their lives. You can serve God and and be in any profession that you want to be in. Oh, well, I guess there's a few, you know, I don't know, maybe, well, I'm not going to say it out loud, but maybe there's a few you can serve God in, but you know, for the most part, you can, you know, being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, does it mean that you can't have academic interests or you can't have learn how to do something and be proficient at it. I think the kingdom of God has room for that. He has room for you. Um, and so I am, I'm just so glad that I figured that out and that God was, was good to me and allowed me to keep focus on him, but it also allowed me to focus on education. I think that's a fantastic, fantastic encouragement. Yeah. I, I always love to talk. We, we did an episode a while back talking about, you know, serving God in higher education and I always love to look back at the story of, you know, the exiled Hebrew boys in Babylon who they excelled. They learned the things that, that they had for them to learn and they were excellent at them. And it it gave them positions in those kingdoms to affect change. And so I think that that's always such a great thing for us to remember when we're growing up and trying to decide what we want to do. And when we have kids that are growing up and we're trying to guide them and what to do, there are so many ways to serve God. And so many places, like I said before, that that need uh, a godly voice and a godly influence. So <laughs> I'm so thankful for people like you who are, you know, living living the life and shining the light in places where it's not as common. So thank you. The final question of our show: We always ask the same question. Our show is called Good Question. So we like to ask every guest, "What is a good question that you're asking yourself lately?" 
I don't know if it's good. It's probably just a little desperate. There's something I've forgotten to put on my to-do list, but what is it? I can't remember. What am I forgetting today? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I am like that 99% of the time. (laughs) And I'll remember it as soon as I get in the car and I can't write it down or (laughs) I'm holding a baby and I don't have a free hand. (laughs) Yes, yes. Isn't that always the way? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I really, really enjoyed this chat and um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you, Jessica. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, friends, how are we feeling? I hope you're feeling encouraged and uplifted. If you're a young person starting out in your education, I hope you feel empowered to follow the career path God lays out before you. Your godly presence is so needed in many areas of our society. If you're someone who has struggled with shame around your weight, I hope you found some encouragement to let go of those feelings and pursue health, no matter how you get there. Not because your worth is determined by the size of your clothes, but because God has a purpose for you to do, and He only gave you one body to do it in. If you're feeling challenged or upset by our talk about COVID or the vaccine controversy currently roiling our world and our nation, I hope you hear me when I say, I love you and Jesus loves you no matter what. I think I can speak for Dr. Page as well when I say, our decision to embrace the vaccine as God's provision is in no way meant to be an attack on you or your decisions. We love you and we want you to be healthy and whole. If you're interested in hearing and learning more from Dr. Page, you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Page Quintero. You can find us on Instagram at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find our Facebook page by searching Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. As always, I hope you'll share this show with a friend. It's our absolute favorite when you do. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tandrup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who is my biggest supporter anytime I decide to try to get healthier is my husband, Dave Tandrup. Our audio engineer is Josh Pawalczyk. That's it for this week. We will be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then. <laughs>